0: This again after still grips me. I mean it's a a, a heartfelt story, um, painful story. After years of steady dieting on blockbuster, testosterone-filled movies like Act of Valor, you guys see Act of Valor years ago? Or the most recent, Lone Survivor. Jake, Todd, and Shane, who'd grown up together, uh, they were in high school had grown up together. their best friends, lived in the same neighborhood. We're convinced that, you know, that's their destiny. All three of them. They're good athletes. Uh, but when they saw all these movies about Navy SEALs, they were, they were done. They were sold. They needed to be, wanted to be Navy SEALs. Fired up. And the only way to describe how fired up, and see if you've ever gotten this fired up about something like that, was to say, man, all of us just feel like we were born for this. I mean, we were born for this. These three did everything together. Like I said, they were neighbors. They loved technology. They played video games together, but usually they were kind of war games that they played. They learned to shoot at a firing range. All of them when they were young, because one of their fathers was uh, is um, a police officer, and the other ones own guns. And here in the south, that's good. I mean, we all think that's fine. And so they learned to shoot when they were really, really young, eight, nine years old. They had some of the equipment that military people use, including long-range uh, radios. Uh, Handheld GPS units. Shane even owned a pair of night vision goggles. Now, at this point, they're only juniors in high school, uh, not yet of legal age to join the military, but they weren't they were going to wait to see that that dream came true. Uh, they decided to make a pack and start living. Check this out, and I've met people like this. My own son wants to do this, 16 years old, wants to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, but made a pack that they're going to start living and thinking, eating, breathing, drinking like they were already. Navy SEALs today. They could rewatch the movies they'd seen if they wanted to get fired up. They could watch YouTube videos. It's a different day and age. You can pick up a lot just from the internet. And they had every intention of making it official when they graduated high school. They're going to join the military and do whatever they need to do to be Navy SEALs. But this early start, they thought this is good because this will give us a leg up on the other people that joined the SEALs and we'll be the elite, but we'll be the elite of the elite. Say that five times fast. Now, Jake's father, as I said before, was a cop, and he had a police scanner, so Jake grew up listening to the police scanner. So sometimes they would actually hear about crimes going down, right, as they were taking place, or hear about tragedies that were coming, you know, before anybody else in the general public, and even before some of the media ever heard about it. Now, early this year, 2014, was no exception. This happened. Jake was getting ready for hockey practice. Early Saturday morning, when the police radio started buzzing with what they call a pre-amber alert. In other words, they're not sure there's going to be an Amber Alert, but it looks like something might have gone down. They said to be on the lookout for a dark gray late model Chrysler minivan seen only minutes earlier on 5th and Carroll Street. The parents of six-year-old April had seen the van pull away from where their daughter had just been standing. They couldn't find their daughter, and now there's no signs of her. So the panic was going out, but this thing is fresh. So Jake heard this thing on the radio, and he flew into action. And he immediately shot a text off to Shane and Todd, said for them to grab their radios, and he told them to get in their cars and start working a grid. They talked about all this stuff. This was a chance to be heroes. Uh, Working a grid of the surrounding streets, because this was going down right where they lived. With luck, they'd find the perpetrator, or perpetrators, and bring him or them to justice. It's what they lived for. You ever feel like that? This was their time. We're on, man. Luckily, both Shane and Todd were home at the time and more than willing, in fact, fired up about it. So within minutes, they were in their cars, or their parents' cars, and cruising up and down an ever-tightening perimeter of the streets within just a couple of miles of where this went down. Occasionally, they saw police cruisers when they were out, obviously doing the same thing, but none even glanced their way, fortunately, and why would they? They were looking for a dark Chrysler minivan, not teenagers driving their parents' SUVs. Gang, that's when it happened. Todd saw it first, and he radioed the others. He'd spotted a black Chevy Tahoe with heavily tinted windows driving slowly down the street. Now, wasn't that what Jake had heard on the radio? A large, dark, late model something? Of course it was. Besides, the tint on the windows, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before, but the tint on all the windows on this Tahoe were so dark that they were obstructing any view inside the vehicle. That's illegal. You can't tint your windows that much. And they were driving way too slow. They're just crawling down the street. The whole thing seemed a little suspicious to Todd. So he decided to circle back around, take a parallel street, get ahead of them, and then somehow in his mind he was going to block this Tahoe's progress. So he radioed his location to his two buddies and his intentions. And his friends said they could be there in minutes. The problem is, gang, that's too long. That's too long and Jake knew it, or, or Todd knew it, sorry. So, sorry, Jake knew it. Get these guys mixed up. He'd have to stall them. And so, listen to what went down next. Thinking quickly, he positioned his Jeep Wrangler in the middle of the street. He got out and he started, he lifted up the hood and he started feigning engine trouble. You know, just, hey, the thing stalled right here, right in the middle of the road. Um, The Tahoe drove up to it very slowly, drove within 20 feet of his Jeep and just stopped. Just ominously just stopped there. And Todd pretended not to notice. He just started tinkering around in there as he waited for his friends, tried to buy him time, tried to stall. Then the driver of the Tahoe simply honked. Just a short honk. Menacing, but short. Come on, do something, get out of the way. They didn't get out or anything. Todd looked up and waved dismissively, glad to notice that Shane had arrived hundreds of feet down the road, got out of his car, and was making his way up the sidewalk as though he was just a casual pedestrian, just kind of walking, but quickly, to where they were at. The driver of the Tahoe honked again, louder and longer this time. So Jake moved from behind the hood of his Jeep and motioned for the driver in the Tahoe to roll his window down. So if you follow this, what's happening is he motions from behind. He sees that they're getting antsy. He's running out of time. So he says, just roll your window down. Hey, we just need to talk. Nothing. They didn't react. He also risked a quick glance down the road at Shane to see if he was making progress. Good, Todd thought. Shane is almost here. He waved his hand again in a circular motion. More emphatically this time, come on, roll your window down. We're just trying to get some eye contact with who he was sure had taken little April. There was a growing uneasiness in him at this point. As he was sure, whoever it is in the top, whoever this is, is obviously they're not good. Obviously they have bad intentions. Then he reached behind him just to be sure that he had in fact brought his father's and his favorite military style g 41. And he just brushed up against us. Please get the picture here, gang. As he's doing this, trying to wave down their window, and he's seeing his friend come down, he just reaches back there and just brushes his hand against it. Good. It's there. And this is when everything got crazy. Todd brought his hand back around from behind his back, fully intending to motion again. Come on, just roll your window down, but he never got the chance. Because instead of rolling their window down, all four doors opened at the same time. And with guns drawn, a shower of bullets exploded in Todd's direction. And he was killed instantly. By this time, Jake pulled onto Carroll Street and Shane had his own weapon drawn. Shane was there. But instead of shooting, he yelled for the former occupants of the Tahoe to drop their weapons. Unfortunately, his cracking and scared voice gave him away he probably wasn't willing to shoot. And later discovered these notorious Crips from the Crips gang, all four of them were more than willing to shoot. They unloaded on him. And before Jake could even make sense of what was happening, because he had arrived now, his two friends lay dead in the street. Now, Jake knew what he had to do, so rather than getting out of his vehicle, he pulled up fast and without even a warning. He began firing at the gang members. He struck one in the leg as the others ducked back into their SUV. Jake continued firing, and the gang members were now returning fire. Jake was hip, but he never stopped shooting at the Tahoe as the Tahoe burned rubber and sped off down the street. Jake looked down inside the car to see blood pooling on his left side and his right shoulder, and he felt dizzy. As he stumbled out of his vehicle and over to his friends, he could see instantly that they were gone these buddies he'd grown up with. And as consciousness began slipping away from him, his last thoughts before dropping to his knees were, what just happened? What in the world happened? We're trying to do something good. Why? Why, God, why do you do this? This wasn't supposed to go down. Now, for the first week and a half after the shooting, Jake lay in a coma at Wilson Memorial Hospital's trauma unit and it would be weeks later that he would learn the full extent of the damage that their ill-advised attempt at justice had caused. The Four gang members were easily apprehended because one was wounded and they tried to get him help. They were arrested for unrelated charges to begin with, drug peddling and possession charges as well as assault and second degree attempted, second degree murder. Jake soon learned that he too would be charged with interfering with police and vigilante justice. As for the dark gray van and little April it was all a misunderstanding and an actual Amber Alert was never issued. April as it turns out had simply walked to a friend's house was in the backyard with her friend playing on the trampoline. Why did I tell you this story? Why did I tell you this painful story? What a tough way to start a message, huh? Well, there's a couple reasons. And if you'll forgive me, they may not seem that important at first, but they're vital. They're hugely important. Number one, passion's contagious. What does that have to do with this? Hang with me. Passion is contagious. When you see somebody that's passionate, joyful, angry, I mean, it can go bad, it can go good, but it's contagious. Spreads. Who among us has never never aspired to something great just because we heard an inspiring story of great love or great courage or great sacrifice? Like I told you before, we watched Lone Survivor and my son is like, I'm gonna be a Navy SEAL. I mean, that stuff's inspiring. But number two, get this. I told it to you because passion without training, without mentoring and instruction can lead to disaster. In fact, I want you to write this down. Passion without purpose leads to pain. Passion without purpose always leads to pain, and that's putting it nicely. That's putting it mildly. And rescue, which we talked about last week in our three R's. This is our vision as a church. So, what God wants us to do. I'm convinced of what God wants all churches to do. We talked about rescue. This week it's raised up. But rescue without being raised up leads to pain as well. There are three R's in this vision, rescue, raise, release, and one is not more important than the other. They work together, they go together, and they keep on going on continuously. Last week, I shared with the Impact family what Jesus shared with me during my 41-day Daniel fast that ended last week. His mission and vision for this church. Again, rescue, raise, and release. And last week, we heard in Jesus' words, because I don't want you to take my word for it, but in Jesus' words, what he came to do. One, Luke 19.10. I mean, I'm, I'm too slow, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sort of a C guy in, in high school, so I, if somebody, want, if I want to know the mission, you just got to give it to me straight. Well, turns out Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus came to do, there's no ver- better verse than Luke 19.10, where Jesus says, I came to, even the most simple can get this, and what was it, guys? To seek and to save those who are lost. That's it. That's the first line mission of Jesus. I came to this earth because everybody's lost. I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to find them. I'm going to bring them home. That's my mission. doesn't take a rocket scientist to find that. There it is, laid right out in Luke 19.10. That's the rescue part of the mission. It comes first, listen, gang, because you can't harvest a crop that has never been planted. Makes sense, right? It would be pretty foolish for you to go out into a dirt field and start trying to pick the corn that's not there if it's, if it's never been planted. You can't raise kids who have never been born, and you can't live a dream that you've never had. People do it all the time. They try, but you can't. There's a story this past couple of weeks, and I, cannot, I can't fathom why this keeps happening or what kind of parent would do this. There's a story that happened, I guess, about a week ago, and I tried to find it. I read it the first time, and, and those who know how to use a computer, I usually have 94 tabs open on my computer. Couldn't find the tab where I had this, but I'll never forget the story uh, because if God didn't intervene, there'd be someone else who lost their life police officer pulled to the side of the road who was just going to pick up some garbage. There were some bags on the side of the road. Maybe some of you read this. There was a big paper bag. Imagine who's surprised when he picked it up and opened it and there was a live baby in there. A mother had pulled to the side of the road who had given birth, put her baby in a paper bag, and left her baby on the side of the road. Now, if that cop didn't come at that point, at that time exactly, that baby would not have lived. The baby would not have lived. It wasn't enough for that baby to be born. That baby has to be raised. wasn't enough for him to be rescued. That baby will have to find a home. So it all starts where Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Everything we live for starts there. Nicodemus, a learned man, a man with much knowledge about God, but who didn't actually know God, said, what in the world do I need to do? I can't lead people home because I'm not sure where I'm going when I die. And Jesus said, back up. Lay all the knowledge aside. Become like a little kid. I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You have to be born all over again. You got to be born again. I mean, and Nicodemus, like a scholar, the simple stuff was really hard for him. Sometimes the most learned people have no common sense. Nicodemus said, well, how can I do that? How can I crawl back in my mother's womb and be born? Explain this thing. But Jesus was talking about, you know, a, a spiritual birth. So it starts with that new birth, but it certainly doesn't end there. And if it did, then God would be no more loving than whoever that parent was, and I hope they find him, who left that baby in a paper bag on the side of the road, or any parent who abandons their child. He'd be no more more loving than that. So it starts with the rescue, but it doesn't end there. Listen, for the last, 50 years or so, the psychological community has debated back and forth. You've heard this. Between the two great camps, is it nurture that makes a person who they are, or is it nature? Nurture or nature, which determines death. Is it the genes that we're born with, our DNA, or is it the environment that we're born into and how we're raised up? Which is it? That's easy. Both. It's both. We already learned that you can't grow in the Lord if you've never been born again. Uh, Like an aborted baby, growth is not possible if that process was short-circuited. Now listen, I'm amazed, gang. I am. I probably shouldn't be. But I'm amazed at how much violence people are willing to do to themselves spiritually. I mean, forget physically. There's crazy people in this world. But spiritually, you ever stop to think how much violence we do to our souls in our country? Things that we would probably never even think about doing physically. We do to our more important souls. Honestly, to me, it's a lot easier to understand why a depressed secular humanist would do this kind of thing. If you don't believe in God, if you're an atheist, if you're agnostic, it makes sense, right? You don't really think you're harming your spirit. You don't believe you have one. You don't believe you're doing any damage to yourself spiritually because you don't believe in the whole spiritual realm anyway. That's easy to understand. I don't struggle with that. For me, the hard part is it's the Christians that do this. It makes no sense. On the one hand, they say they value life, and they value God, and they follow His commandments, and follow Him supposedly, and they are disciples, which means follower, and they are Christians, which means little Christ. But on the other hand, they do so many unhealthy things. I mean, they live in such a way as to almost seem as though they have a spiritual death wish. Really, seriously, look closely a lot of Christians in American evangelicalism, and you look and you're like, it's like you're trying to kill yourself spiritually. Not only are you not growing, it's like you're trying to put your soul to death. Only the Christian seems to go on self-imposed spiritual hunger strikes, constantly starving themselves of spiritual food and nutrition that's so vital to their spiritual growth. Forget spiritual growth, even to their spiritual survival. As though they want to see how long they can last without any contact whatsoever with the one who gives them life. How long can I stay close to God with never talking to him or plugging my ears and, and busying and cluttering my life so that I can't hear him either? How long will I make it, do you think? I think not long, gang. That's why I think when you look at the Christian community, there's a lot of living dead, walking dead around there, spiritually dead. But gang, that's a tough start this morning. But here's the good news. Man, there's a better way. There's an easy, better way. And I want you to get this down. It all begins with knowing God look, I know where you're at right now. Some of you are going, this is church, you're a preacher. Duh. We knew you were going to say that. Of course we need to know God. Well, of course you do. But do you? Do you know God? See, last week and Forevermore, we'll refer to the process of getting to know him, of being introduced to him as the rescue at this church. Bible uses this term too. I want you to know that. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will... Rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Uh, Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. But this same experience that we use the word rescue for is referred to as other things as, as well. John 3.3, 3, Jesus called it born again. Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Another way to look at that is unless you're saved, unless you're rescued, saved is another world, another word. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Acts 2, 21. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved, rescued from what? Adoption is used, Romans eight fifteen. for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out to God, Abba, which means daddy in Hebrew, father. And Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And sometimes this process is referred to being made a a new creation. Therefore, if anyone, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. The old has passed away and something new has come. All of these mean the same thing. All of these refer to the brand new person and the rescue that took place within your heart and soul. You have a brand new heavenly father now if you've been rescued. And a brand new spiritual family to grow in and to be nurtured by. Best of all, this should be good news. I have a feeling you guys aren't going to jump up and start shouting and and cry out for the praise band to come up and keep singing, but I wish you would because the good. Welcome back, Nicole. They've been on vacation and we knew it. So, I love, only one that listens to me and says, talk back, because I like it when she talks back. But yeah, you know what, you should celebrate, because what I'm about to tell you, because you've been rescued, you get an audience with the living God anytime you want. You can talk to Almighty God and be ushered into His throne room anytime you want. No appointment, no special clothes to wear, uh, no special posturing. You just start talking to your Father. And very, very few Christians take advantage of this. Yeah, that's neat, Pastor. I'll log that away for a future reference. Really? Really? Is that what you're going to do with it? The real question is, you have a chance to know Almighty God. The question is, will you? Are you going to take that? Truth is, we can actually know a great deal about God with very, very little, if any, knowledge of God. There's a difference. You can know a lot about God without knowing Him. I mean, think of all the knowledge about God at our fingertips today. In our day and age, we have thousands of books about God right at our beck and call via the internet. We have the benefit of thousands of years of of Christian history and theological greats, podcasts, videos, Christian schools, seminaries. Think about it. And you can fill your head with that. Lots of information about God. And you might not even know him. And we can know a great deal about godliness. Hear the difference? You ever met somebody, they, they seem to know a lot about godliness. They seem to know a lot about Christian behavior for everybody else, but not for them. There's the Ten Commandments. There's the, the Pharisees had 613 laws. We know how we ought to be as kids. We know how we ought to be as parents. We know how we ought to be a good co-worker, how to be a good neighbor. And we can know a great deal about godliness without knowing God. We have so many models of godly behavior, don't we? Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, you can read about them, the Apostle Paul, John Calvin, Martin Luther, the list goes on and on and on. Just look at them, copy them, and you can be godly without knowing God, without knowing God. So we can learn to pray. We can pray a lot. We can read our Bibles an hour a day. We can keep all the Ten Commandments and never break them, and still not know God at all. pastor, how can we ever know that we know? I was hoping you'd get to that. There is a way, several actually. Now this may be tough as I share this with you. You might cringe a little bit, but press in. Don't back off. There's evidence available if you know God. If you really want to know God and you really know God, these things will show. You ready for them? Nicole, ready? Thank you. All right. First of all, those who really know God, those who know God have a great passion and a great energy for God. Have you ever noticed that? Can't keep the smile off their face. They have a passion and they have energy. Scripture says, when you know God and you wait upon the Lord, you'll rise up and, and mount up like, like, like an eagle, like on the wings of an eagle and fly and soar and you'll run and not grow weary. And where does that come from? It comes from a deep, intimate relationship with God. Do you, do you have this? So that's an evidence Have you ever had this? Because it's an evidence. Do the things of God excite you more than anything else on this earth or anyone else on this earth excite you? Do you seem to have a boundless energy and enthusiasm for the things of God, for doing his kingdom work? Or quite honestly, do the things of God, serving, volunteering, reading his word, all that, act like a tranquilizer for you? Do they put you to sleep? Do they bore you? Sometimes, pastor. What should I do about that? you should be very concerned about that. That's a lack of some pretty vital evidence. Think very carefully about your answers to these things. Be brutally and completely honest with yourself. It's the difference between knowing about God and really knowing him. I'm gonna quickly take you through, I mean, I can go through any book of the Bible, but Daniel, and you don't have to turn there because I just wanna tell you a few things about it. Daniel 11, 31 to 32. Listen, I just went through Daniel and I missed this somehow. Talk about the Antichrist in the last days. Verse 31 says, Forces from this man shall appear and profane the temple of God and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. The abomination of desolation. And he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. You know who that's referring to? Christians. Satan, the Antichrist will seduce with flattery and and false promises and all. Those who are supposed to be following God, they'll be lured away but not everybody. Because it goes on to say, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The people who what? That's it. How did I miss that? Not the people who know about him, but the people who press in and really know their God, they will not be moved. The only movement that's going to come from them is great exploits for the kingdom of God. The only movement that's going to come from them is they're going to do great things. But they will not be moved. They will not be lured in. They will not be seduced. Why? What's their power? What's their secret? They, they know God intimately. No matter how big the enemy might be or how, how dark the, the day might seem or how large the battle might loom for these people, the people who truly know their God will be strong and do exploits because God is for them. I like the way the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 8.32, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about it. If God is actually for you and you're in his will and you're doing his thing, exactly who's going to give you our time? If God says you are going to get from point A to Z, then is anything in B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, C, U, V, W, X, Y going to stop you? No. All of that means nothing. It's not going to stop you because God told you you're going to get from A to Z. All this might look bad, but it has no power against you because if he's for you, there's nothing that can stand against you. And the book of Daniel is all about four such people that stood firm like that. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but the whole book talks about their exploits, their exploits that they did in the name of God. Number two, those who know God think great thoughts about God. This one seems a little nebulous, so hang with me. I mean, they, their thoughts are great. They don't think all day long about a puny God. They don't get into things and then go, I don't know if God's big enough for this. I'm gonna try everything else. They're not people who use the phrase. You ever use this? There's nothing left to do now but pray. That, that's not these people. They have great thoughts. The first thing they do is go to their knees and pray to God. Cry out to him in the intimate, ongoing, never-ceasing prayer life that they have. If God is a last resort, then that's strike two in the evidence of you knowing God. It's not a, enough time for me to talk about all that's in the book of Daniel about wisdom and might and the truth of, uh, of how great God was for these four men. In fact, how great was Daniel alone? I thought he served two or three kings, but it turns out I went back this week and looked at it. Daniel served four mighty kings in two different kingdoms over his lifetime And all four of them were considered, at the time that they ruled, Darius, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Xerxes, all these people were considered the single most powerful men on the face of the earth. And Daniel outshined them all in each administration. They came and went. Daniel stayed firm and served his God. Where does your wisdom come from? Here's the third thing. Those who know God show great courage for God. Haven't you ever seen a Christian, a young person, whatever, they're so bold. A lot of Christians say, well, I can't share my faith because I really don't know what to say. I'm so scared. I get so nervous and my knees shake and I start sweating. And then, you know, a nine-year, my, when my son was seven years old, he had already led four or five people to Christ. Why aren't his knees shaking? Why weren't his sweaty? Why, didn't, why wasn't he scared? I mean, I'll never forget when he was eight years old and we're up in, in Blowing Rock and visiting And There's a car that stopped. Traffic was backed up on that main street there. The guy's Jeep door was open and he was, his hand was hanging out. It's a man having a heart attack. So he got an ambulance to come. I mean, he was barely breathing. He was very much suffering. What does Nathan do at eight years old? There's no time for the ambulance. We got to tell him about Jesus. He goes out there and starts witnessing to this guy. Do you know Jesus? Because this could be it for you. <laughs> <laughs> So he needed a little refining (laughs) in his process. (laughs) And he's just telling him, if you meet Jesus now, which is looking pretty likely. No, he didn't say that, but if you meet him now, do you know, you go, and this guy just locked eyes on my little eight-year-old son, just locked eyes and and listened to him like he probably never listened before. How come he didn't chicken out? Why did he have such great courage? He's an eight-year-old. Tell you why, because I know that he knows God deeply and intimately. Where does your wisdom come from? Where does your courage come from? Staying with the book of Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the false god that Nebuchadnezzar raised up. But here's the key statement. They said, we will never bow down to the statue that you made. We serve God and God alone. And our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace that you're planning to throw us into. But now catch this, gang, because this is the most important line. People blow by it in the book of Daniel. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, even if he doesn't though, Even if he does not, we will not worship your God and he is still God. Do you know what they're saying? Our courage is so great, it doesn't depend on a deal we made with God. It's not like, I got great courage, God. Now you do your part. You show up. Every time I command it, you perform. They were saying, he may not do it. He may not choose to do a thing. He's still God. And we will still do this. And they had great courage. Turns out that God rewarded that courage that time. And four, those who know God have great contentment for God. The more that I talk to people, the more that I am convinced the one thing that everybody's after, the one thing that people want more than anything else in this world is peace and contentment. It's packaged. It's talked about in a lot of different ways, but you listen real close and that's it. I mean, maybe Hollywood. Yeah, I just want to be happy. I'm just trying to find fun. I'm just having a great time in this life. What are they really? They want peace. With all the wars out there, we want peace. With all the terrorism, we want peace. We just want to be content. We just want to be satisfied. We want, we want to stop this rat race and just have that settled feeling in our heart. But watch this. Listen, I'm, there is no peace that even comes close to the peace that I see in those whose minds and hearts are possessed with a full assurance that they have known God, know God, have known God, and that they are fully known by God. And that relationship guarantees God's favor in this life, in death, and forevermore in eternity. How how could you, exactly explain to me, how could you beat that kind of peace? Well, I might get a raise at work. Well, good for you. That's nothing compared to what I just said. Well, my whole family's healthy. Everybody, this week, nobody got sick. Fantastic seven days for you. It doesn't compare to that peace. What exactly can you line up or match up against that piece that could beat it? Nothing. Do you have that assurance? Okay, so the first thing is knowing him and then I give you some evidence for if you do or not. Take that serious. Did you pass the test? Do you know him? If not, I want to help you right now. Now, if you're sitting here going, I know him and I passed the test, this is still for you. This next section is called How We Get to Know Him. If you're saying, well, I'm going to go to sleep now or play Flappy Birds because I already know this. I'm trying to work on my high score without killing anyone. But the deal is, even if you know him, this applies to knowing him better, okay? So it's for everybody. Two foundational and simple ways. They're so simple, often people don't do it. It's missing the forest for the trees. It's too obvious. It almost sounds condescending. I don't care. It'll never change. These are the simplest ways to get to know God. Number one. You listen to him. God is speaking all the time. This is the primary way that God speaks through his word. He speaks other ways. This is the primary way. The average American owns eight Bibles. You have eight chances to listen. If you have an iPad, that's nine. Got an iPhone 10. Got an Android 11. It just keeps, got a computer 12. His word. God's talking to you, and you can be sure of that. What is far less sure is whether or not you or I are listening. Listen, you ever talk to a know-it-all? If some of you go, no, I don't think so, well, that's because it's you. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it? Isn't it frustrating to talk to a know-it-all? I was looking at, They never listen. Whenever someone else is talking, they're merely thinking of responses. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. They're thinking, here's how I'm going to one-up you. They don't listen. Never actually consider what is being said. Listen, I was looking uh, on the internet this week about know-it-alls. Turns out you can Google these people. (laughs) Psychology Today says, what makes people talk too much? I read that article. It's fascinating. Another one, Forbes Magazine. Three simple ways to get people to listen to you. But this was my favorite. So I'm wikihow.com. How to make someone shut up. (laughs) 14 great ways. I'm just going to give you my six or seven favorite. You ready? Number one, make it very obvious that you are making an effort to pay attention to them while doing something else. All right? None of the other steps are really necessary. Just make them feel that they are making you less fond of them with every passing, useless sentence they utter. Wow. Wow, Seth. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of hit home. Number two, pretend that they aren't there. And if you need to, go talk to someone else. Number three, if they ask why you're ignoring them, don't answer their question. Number four, don't even smile at their jokes. No matter how funny or lame they may be, just sit there. After a while, they're, they're going to think you're a psycho. They're probably going to give up. Number five, if needed, just tell them to talk more. Tom's like, Can you talk? You're not talking enough. Can you talk more? Keep talking. Talk louder. Talk faster. This will give them the idea that you're being sarcastic. Imagine that. And they will, as a result, shut up. And number six, just walk toward them. You would think it'd be walk away. No, 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 just walk towards them. (laughs) All right, yeah, I like it. You're this far away. You're in their space. Yeah, this is great. They're probably gonna freak out and leave. I love this. I thought this was great. There's eight more, but I want you to, I don't wanna talk too much about them and become one of these guys. I don't wanna be that guy. Listen, gang, God gave us one mouth, two ears. Should be obvious which one we're supposed to do more. When you're trying to get to know someone, listening is honestly more important than talking, at first, anyway. When we're talking about God, it's always a little more important. What's the primary way that we talk to God? I mean, sorry, that we listen to God? The Bible. The Bible. Now, we've got a U version plan. Got a couple of ideas of how we're going to deal with this as a church. A U version plan that I want to go through as a church is a simple introductory plan. I think we're going to put it up here. Are we? Yeah. And I um, actually put it up there and didn't put it on my notes, so I'll have to look on here. Yeah, there it is, the Gospels. Um, if you'll go to Uversion.com and you will join this thing and you look at their 30-day plans, look up the one that says the Gospel. I'd like to get started tonight as a church doing this together. In 30 days, you will read through all four Gospels. All four Gospels? How long is that? It's like that long. It's not that long. I read three or four books a week. I love to read. The gospels are not war and peace. You can do this. And let's do this together as a church because all four gospels tell every angle of Jesus' three-year ministry on this earth. So that's one thing. It's a way to get our feet wet in the word of God, an easy way. By the way, this thing has other helps, other devotionals to help you along. Who can't do this? Anyone can do this. Now, all that being said, There is a time and place for talking. And talking to God is referred to as prayer. Friends, at this point, I have a choice to make. I can talk and keep going. And some of you go, oh, I know you can, Pastor Rob. Or I can turn things over to someone who's been an incredible inspiration to me on the subject of prayer, my wife, Michelle. And I suggest when she, come on up, Michelle, I suggest as she talks about prayer, Because of what's happened in the last month in our prayer ministry. It's gone from two to nearly 40 people. God's doing something here. And he's using this woman. (laughs) Tune in and listen for the next 10 minutes or so.
1: Great. Thank you. I am so excited about prayer. It is something that I am extremely passionate about because it is such a glorious privilege, a comfort and encouragement to all of us. It's available to us all the time, 24-7. The past couple of days I've also enjoyed sitting by the fire, um, having a little hot chocolate, uh, and I'm just gazing into the fire and I'm thinking, why is that fire so comforting, so warm? It's contained. It's contained right there. I turn it on with a remote, I turn it off with a remote, it's contained. But every summer, every summer, it seems like we hear of wildfires that are raging out west. You know, these fires are much different, they're all-consuming, they're ever-growing, they're unstoppable, they're blinding and dangerous. And despite everything else, their power is somehow beautiful. This combination of wind and fire capable of creating a wildfire that is out of control is a powerful force that consumes everything in its path. Well, Pastor Perry Noble, he describes the church as being capable of that kind of force as well. The church is a movement that when fanned by the wind and flames of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, community, and corporate prayer is unstoppable. Acts 2:42 describes a rapidly growing church that is built on the gospel, fellowship, and corporate prayer. It describes a church in which people aren't concerned with staying small enough for everyone to know everybody else there. Instead, they're aimed at growing big enough for everyone to know Jesus. It's a church that values fellowship and unity. And because of its togetherness, they grow in their depth of faith as well as in their numbers. And it's a church that prays together understanding that Jesus is the universal language and that through him nothing is impossible a big part of raising up rescued people is being a church where people come together for corporate prayer this is exciting to me because we have an awesome group of corporate prayer partners that meet every Sunday morning and I'll tell you what God is using them every person there to ignite the fuel of impact church and I think we're really becoming an unstoppable wildfire wildfire so what is corporate prayer what does that mean what does that term mean corporate prayer is simply praying together it's a group conversing with God Individually, corporate prayer will take you to new heights and help you live a victorious Christian life. But when corporate prayer is absent, we become isolated, relying on our own resources, missing out on community, kind of living on the fringe of God's best. You know, I think of our old neighbor, Ed. We had a a neighbor, Ed, and you know, he was kind of a keep-to-yourself kind of guy. We didn't see him very much. He never came to the parties that we had at the cul-de-sac. Never really spoke too much. He was polite enough. If we saw him getting his mail, he'd give a slight little wave, and off he'd go alone. But Ed... was somebody we never really got to know. Now, he'd stop by the house and, you know, if he needed to borrow Rob's wheelbarrow or a power tool or use our fax line, Ed would come around, but then we wouldn't see him again. Even though we tried to draw him in, he just preferred to keep to himself. So Ed was somebody we never got to know. Ed missed out on community. Don't be an Ed. If you're only gonna pray alone or only gonna pray when you have a personal need you're missing out and we as a group are missing out on you being there because we are a body with many members many gifts we need you in our prayer room and I'm convinced that everyone in this room today should join us in the Cuthbertson medium room which we call the castle um, for our morning prayer And here's why. Prevailing corporate prayer positions us for God's presence, God's purposes, and God's power. I want to say that again because it's really a good sentence there. Prevailing corporate prayer positions us for God's presence, God's purposes, and God's power. Today I'm going to share with you three blessings that come from praying together. The first one is praying together invites the presence of God. We were created for community with God and with each other. God's desire is for us to live in his presence. And when we pray together, just as Solomon did back in Second Chronicles when he was dedicating the temple, he prayed with the whole church there. They invoked the presence of God. Jesus encouraged us to do that in Matthew 18. He tells us that when two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst. So where God's presence resides, God's love and favor abides. Always. The second blessing that comes from praying together is that God will reveal his purposes. So praying together reveals the purposes of God. When we pray alone, we often pray for our wish list with no real thought of what does God want to do here? I want to read to you two prayers. Here's the first one. God please help me. I need a financial blessing. Please help me to get a good job with benefits would be nice. I ask your intervention in the situation in my neighborhood. I need encouragement and direction. I need healing. Bless my family and help me be a good witness. Does that sound familiar? How about this one? God, I ask you to open doors for the gospel to be spread all over the world. I ask you for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Open the doors in countries that are closed to the gospel and send laborers to the fields that are ripe for harvest. I pray for a spirit of giving to your people to finance the sending of missionaries all over the world. Reveal yourself in a mighty way to those of other religions. Let the powers of darkness be overcome by your light. Which of these prayers do you identify with the most? The Bible tells us in Matthew six thirty three to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Another translation says this, your heavenly father already knows your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Could it be that we have it backwards when we pray for our needs first could it be that we pray the wrong prayers to get our needs met what would happen if we prayed kingdom prayers first it's not wrong to pray for our needs the Bible tells us we are come we're to come to him God with everything everything that concerns us the problem comes is when we put our needs and our desires first and leave God's purpose for last place The way I see it, God is basically saying, if you handle my business before yours, then I will bless yours. God wants to be first in all areas of our life, including our prayers. And something happens to that dynamic when we pray together. We start to let go of our desires and see our purposes fulfilled. We open ourselves up to God's purposes, God's wish list, if you will. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom praying first, followed by praying for our personal needs second. How do we do this? We begin by asking God to show us his will, which is found in the Bible. So we got to be reading the Bible. Prevailing prayer is dependent on the studying of the word of God. And then we pray the word of God. We pray for the family of God all over the world instead of just for our family and just our church. We pray for lost people to be rescued throughout the world. We pray for the spirit of God to bring understanding to the unsaved for unity in the body of Christ worldwide. Praying together carries the greatest power and has the greatest impact if we get our priorities right. When you handle God's business first, God is going to take care of you. You can count on it because you've got it in writing. The third blessing is praying together increases our faith for God's miraculous power. In Matthew 17 and in Mark 9, there's a story of a father who brings his son, who's demon possessed, to the disciples for healing. But they could not cast out this demon. The boy was then taken to Jesus. Jesus spoke the word, and the demon fled. So the disciples, why couldn't they do this? They asked Jesus, what's wrong? We know how to do this. We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it this time? And Jesus answered them, it's because of your little faith. And he also said, this kind of demon could not be driven out by anything but prayer. You know, I wonder if the disciples attack this demon issue like some of us attack issues in our own lives, a little too routinely. We know the right words to say, we know the right steps to take, but like the disciples, nothing works because we're not prayed up enough. And our faith is not there as a result. There's a clear connection between prayer and faith. Pastor Jonathan Graff believes the most significant thing lost when a church does not have corporate prayer is faith. And why don't most churches see God move in miraculous ways? Well, maybe it's because we don't know how to pray in faith anymore. But pray, faith grows as we pray together. And here's how it works. Let's say I am struggling with a problem. I got a big problem and I'm struggling with it. And I pray and I try to pray with faith and I try to trust. But when I pray, all I see is the issues at hand. That's all I can see. It's big. It's consuming me. But when I invite others to pray with me, others who will pray with bigger faith because they're not looking at the issues, then what that does is that, It puts more faith in me. God can now put a heart of trust in me. And he brings me to unity with other people, which gives me the faith that I need to believe in him for the miraculous work. Not just for me, but also for his vision and his plan for my church. When I only pray by myself, that's less likely to happen. And let me say this. Churches that do not pray together can still minister in whatever ways they can, but it's by their own resources, their own abilities, and their own sacrifices. But churches that pray together begin to see the miraculous power of God at work in their midst. It goes beyond what they can do into what God wants to do through them. Prevailing corporate prayer positions us for God's presence, God's purposes, and God's power. You know, in almost every quarter of the globe, Christianity is advancing forward, except for four primary areas, right here in North America, Japan, Australia, and Western Europe. What's missing? Sadly, we're not spending enough time praying together. Some of us don't pray together at all. And why don't we? Are we content with mediocre Christianity? You know, at our house we've been watching the Olympics. In fact, our TV's been glued to the Winter Olympics in Sochi. And as much as I love the competitive events, what I really enjoy are the personal stories about the athletes themselves there's one us skater who has caught my attention her name is anna ringsred i don't know if you saw her Um, and she only finished 26 so she didn't have her best showing but what caught me is how she shared god is using her athletic skills to grow her christian faith she said this she says i'm just going for it every single minute never holding back it's painful But at the end, you feel such elation, and you know that that's what God wants you to do. He doesn't like for you to go through life just being mediocre. You know, I want my spiritual efforts and my participation in corporate prayer to be like Anna's. I never want to hold back. I want to go for it every single time, even when I'm tempted to make excuses or just not show up. I want to prevail in corporate prayer so that I am positioned for God's rewards, his presence, his purpose, and his power. And my charge to you today is will you join me? Will you join me? You know, right here, I would like for the Skanga family to stand up. Oh, yes, Susan, that means you and Chad. Yeah, all of you, Jeremiah, Matthew, Leah. Go ahead, you two, stand up. You built my cross. <laughs> These people have been with me from day one, and they are faithful to be there before it starts to help me set up to help me take down. I so appreciate it. Oh, stand up. In fact, uh, the Hudsons I see you back there, Beth, stand up. Bring their, ch- stand up, bring their children to pray. We've got families coming to the room to pray with us. It's awesome. Wyatt, you've been. Mason, stand up. You've been. Where's Jackie? Stand up. All of you who have been to the corporate prayer room, um, stand up, join me, stand up. There you go, keep standing, keep standing. The Pruitt family, yeah, the whole family comes. This is awesome. Christine, thank you. Yes, Malone's. Joanne, faithful from day one to pray. You guys, will you join us? Will you join us in corporate prayer and share with all of us these blessings so that our church, Russ, thank you, yeah, in the, in the back there, will you join us for corporate prayer? We start one hour before the service, and I'd love to see you in there. I promise you will be blessed. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Michelle, for sharing that. She's a keeper. Some of you are going, yeah, let's talk about how you pulled that off, Robin. Next time. Don't have time today. You know, I just want to close out a couple things that actually what she said um, just reminded me about this. Sad how we started out with the boys. You know, so much promise and so much passion. Uh, So much desire to do something great ends in tragedy. Why? Because they weren't trained as Navy SEALs. They didn't know what they were doing. It's not enough to have the passion. You have to be raised up to be like Christ so you can be effective for Christ and I look at the things in the Bible that Jesus asks us to do and begs us to do like my wife was just saying praying another one is fasting I got off that 41 day fast why did I do that? I had a lot of people ask me that. why would you do something like that? well for one Jesus did it Jesus did it and Jesus prayed all the time and I want you all if you are struggling with this and going well isn't this kind of a waste and why do it and he was God and all that ask yourself this if it wasn't important why did he do it? why did he do it? The verse that Michelle shared about the demon and Jesus said, this one only comes out by prayer. Actually, there's one more thing. He said, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. Is fasting magic? Was Jesus saying, you don't have the recipe. You have to pray and then say abracadabra while not eating. No. It's not magic. But you know what it does? It presses you into God and causes it, it turbocharges your process of getting to know Him. What's He really saying? You know how that demon comes out? By knowing me better by being in intimate contact with me. Your power will be greater. Your faith will be greater. Your life will be greater. Couple last things. These are starting points. Talking to God in prayer, listening to God in his word. I need to give you ways to do that. If in case you missed it, we just gave you the prayer part. Get here an hour early and for 30 minutes we have prayer stations. This thing is set up in a way that if you have just been born again for 5 minutes, you can learn to pray. If you've been a believer for 30 years and you're intimately in contact with your savior and you intimately know him, you can pray. You can find a place to start. Anybody can there, but you got to you got to show up. This is a church that's determined to pray together. And God's doing something in that. Those are foundational. They get it started. On the reading the word and the U version thing, maybe some of you are saying, well, "I'll check out U version. I'll try to do this. I don't know what to do." And I know that some of you, because you've talked to me, have said, "Well, there's a, a fear in me because, be honest with you, Pastor, I have no idea how to study the Bible. It's a very complicated book." Kenny, are you back there? Yes, of course he is. That's why my mic is working. Look behind you, everybody, and see Kenny. Wave your hand. All right, Kenny has spent many, many years. He's a lot older than he looks. Many, many years studying God's word. He's a he's a he's a theologian. He knows it well and he loves it as a passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. I've asked him starting next week to begin be, I'm sorry, immediately following the service. So now we're going to have a chance for you to corporately pray before and we're going to have a class immediately after the service that he's going to lead for six weeks. It's about studying God's word, Bible study methods, how to read his word to grow. If you're a beginner or even if you're a veteran, these tips and these things that he's going to be giving you will help you to get something out of this. If you've ever read the Bible and you go way even more down because you just don't get it, this will help you. But you've got to be there. I'm not going to give you any more than that right now. One, one tool for prayer, one tool uh, for Bible reading. Because we've got to build a foundation. We've got to start somewhere. And if we jump ahead with 27 classes, chances are you won't do any of it. And then, pick them back up where I left off. We start the conversation with prayer and we listen with Bible reading. Then for the rest of our life, we keep these things going. It's not like building a house. You're not just going to build a foundation and then leave it there. You're going to build on it and you've got to keep going back and re, or resetting that foundation and making it stronger so you can build even more and more on it. Prayer and Bible reading never stop. We just take the conversation, gang, deeper. Deeper and deeper. You should be reading more and hearing more from God. The third year you're saved, then you did the first year. The tenth year you're saved, then you did the third year. It should be increasing. The conversation should go deeper. When Martin Luther was challenged about how he could possibly afford to spend four hours a day, he got up every single day at 4 a.m. and prayed till 8. Father of the Reformation. And he was challenged by other monks that, think about what you could get done if you didn't. The implication, waste so much time praying. How can you afford to do that, the monk said. And Martin Luther looked at him as serious and as humbly as he could say, I cannot afford not to. I hope you didn't miss that. What Martin Luther was saying is none of this would have happened if I didn't know God that intimately. Don't you understand? It's the four hours I spend in prayer every day that is giving me the power. That is giving me the power. The same goes for spending time in God's word. And then finally, lastly, don't travel alone come on, gang, God himself is community, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You were made with a soul and a spirit, a physical body. You and I were made for community by community, made for community by community. So don't do the Christian walk alone. Nothing we've talked about is as powerful by yourself as it is with others. So I want you to look on the handout that you got. If you got one by the door, I want you to consider the, uh, the prayer time and the Bible reading course in the class or, and joining a life group. All the life groups that we have currently are sermon-based. You know what that means? That means they take whatever has been taught on and that week when they meet, they go deeper in that. They dig even deeper in the subject. There's lots of opportunities to get together with others and take this relationship with God deeper. Let me pray for us. And gang, I encourage you as we get back to God and and the praise team has one last song together here. um, Please invite your friends. Please talk to those who maybe are are sort of once every couple week attenders. We we have a little bit of that uh, as new believers and so forth begin to find out what impact is all about. Don't miss next week. It's the final R. Rescue, raise, release. And if any of them are, are, are... are the most exciting. It's probably that one. That means you're ready to do great things. So you need to be here next week to find out what great things I'm talking about and how you can do it. Let's pray. God, I love this vision. It's not mine. You know that. I know that. Maybe the church doesn't know that. But Father, as, you, as any of us presses into you, we will hear your voice more clearly, more loudly than ever before, and you could not have been more plain about what you want us to do as a church. This isn't even my mission in the sense that it's something new and unique, Lord. It comes from the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. It's what you honestly want every believer to do. It's what you want every church to do, but help us not to do these three R's going through the motions or checking off a list. God, I pray that a fire will burn in this church, and we will love these R's. We'll embrace them. We'll get excited and passionate, And we'll be raised up and learn how we can do them more effectively, Lord. You named us impact because you want us to make an impact for your name and your glory, God. Help us to live up to the name you gave us as a church, Lord. And Father, pray, honor and show us favor because we are a church that prays and a church that longs to hear from you. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.